to GNT, the podcast from political blog The Groucho Tendency. How's your head feeling these days? It's fair to say that COVID-19 and the lockdown have created somewhat of a unique climate for us all. We've all had to deal with massive changes to our everyday lives, and that touches on nearly everything about us, including, I'm sad to say, our mental health as well. A study published by the Journal of Emerging Infectious Diseases found that the increased levels of generalised fear and fear-induced overreactive behaviour were quite common among the public, exacerbating depression, anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. The result it found was a heightened mental health crisis. Meanwhile, a new study published over here in Britain found that two-thirds of us were struggling to stay positive when thinking about the future in the face of the epidemic. Adding yesterday's news from the OBR that the UK economy could, could, could contract by 35% in the second quarter, putting us into the deepest recession for nearly 300 years. You can see why there's a lot of pressure on us right now. The result, the skills that the study concluded, should be that government should be seeking to address public health me- mental health needs by developing and implementing well-coordinated strategic plans to meet their needs during the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello and welcome to GNT, the politics podcast from the Groucho Tendency. My name is Mike Indian, I'm the blog's editor and author, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by two esteemed experts today to talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown are affecting our mental health today. I'm joined by Dr. Michelle McDowell, an educational and child psychologist with over 15 years experience who specialises in gaming and screen time addiction, and Marilyn Devonish, a flexible work implementation coordinator, hypnotherapist and social commentator. Hello, ladies. How are you both? Hello. Well, um, thank you both very much for joining me. We're doing this interview over Skype as well. Um, I want to start off by asking you both, um, how do you feel the, the the sense of the pandemic as a whole in, in both of your experiences is affecting the mental health of people? I, it's having an immense effect on people young and old. I mean, the word unprecedented has been used on countless occasions um, throughout the last 10 weeks at least. And it is exactly that. It's an extraordinary experience. And the impact that it's having on people's mental health is also extraordinary. In terms of, although, sorry, it's extraordinary in the experience, but in terms of trauma, it's an, in many ways an, an ordinary response to trauma. You know, in terms of you having a sense of, oh my gosh, this is, I've never experienced this before. The fear, the concern, the anxiety, the worry is something that is a normal response to a, a pandemic, a trauma, a shock. Mm-hmm. I, what's happening with people is, is simply the fight, flight and freeze response, really. You know, and we've seen that in stages. It's, it's not just this kind of fight, flight, freeze, and then people reply and do it again and respond and do it again, you know. So there's this real concern of, am I going to be safe? Is my family going to be safe? Um, are people around me going to be safe? And the more people are watching and listening to the news daily, all day long, the more of that response that, you know, is, is building in their bodies. Um, and unfortunately, it's having a huge impact on mental health for the young and, you know, old and everybody in between. Mm. 
Marilyn, how have you found it in your experience? I would definitely say it's been similar. One of the ways that I've been describing it to my clients is it is very much like and similar to what um, Dr. McDowell is saying. It's very much like the grieving cycle because that is the those are the stages that people go through. And I know when you talk about grief, you associate that with the loss of someone. And there has been a lot of that as well. However, that can impact in things that have nothing to do with death and nothing to do with dying because we're the first thing that happens and we're already seeing people moving to that second stage because the first one is denial where you think okay this can't be happening I remember the conversation saying oh it will blow over we'll never go into lockdown can you imagine London <laughs> shutting down uh, now it's shut down what we what I'm starting to see now from the demographic that I'm looking at is there's a lot of anger you know people the curtain twitching they're calling it and, you know we saw the anger breaking out with people literally scrapping over toilet rolls, you know, drag down fights. And and to the out from the outside looking in, if you're not yet in that cycle, it does look a little bit crazy. But when you think about what's happened, not you know, sometimes the recession that'll impact your finances. This is impacting people's health. The people are losing people. People are dying on their own. It's impacting your levels of stress. If you've got children, you're now on lockdown. Even the word lockdown is, is frightening. It's scary. It means that you are locked into a particular place. And so I really think there's, there's going to be a lot that has to be unpacked when this is over. Mm. And I also appreciate there is so much going on at the moment because, as you've already said, we in our living memory have not seen the likes of anything like this. And so it's taken people by surprise. It's taken away many people's livelihoods. And because nobody, you know, of course we have leaders, but their their blueprint, their model is only at best a couple of weeks in advance because we're now having to look at what others are doing and who's ahead of the curve. And that's our blueprint. So that, that level of uncertainty also heightens that sense of fear and worry and anxiety. I think you're right there, um, Marilyn, that the in terms of, you know, our, our horizons have contracted. We are now faced with the fact that every three weeks the government is reviewing the lockdown period. And of course, our physical space is now much more limited as well. So we're kind of living our lives largely, I think, by the government's daily press conferences about the fact that we're looking for either a leveling off and then a drop off in the level of deaths and also for when the government might begin to relax the lockdown. Um Michelle, what do you think the sort of the impact has been on people's mental health of the realities of having to live our lives by this sort of enforced regiment of lockdown, as it were? Now, because I think there's there's two different questions. There's the overall fear of disease in my mind, and the fear of anxiety, you know, and that provokes. And then there's the question of you know of this sort of regimentation and standardisation of our lives we've had to go through. I think people are, are very much in shock at this stage. So they're not knowing, it's the not knowingness of it that's, that people are finding particularly difficult. You know, anxiety is built around be, not being sure about things. So you, you make your own story in your mind. Well, if I don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, then it could be this or it could be that or it could be. Whereas when you've got some level of structure and organisation around you, it's easier for you to feel nurtured and understood and contained if you like but the more there's there's this uh, 
possibility that there may be a lockdown. You go onto WhatsApp, there's 10 million different, you know, stories about what, what, what could happen and what is happening. You then go into the news and there's a suggestion that there may be tighter reins on lockdown or it may be loosened next week, you know. So because of that, that unsureness, people are feeling very much like, I don't feel contained anymore. I don't understand. Last week, I would get up at, you know, get up at normal time, get ready, go to work, get the children ready, go to school, go and see my grandparents or my parents, etc. And now, everything's changed. The whole world, as I've seen an article recently, the title was upside down. And that's how many people are feeling. So stress, anxiety, the, the lack of sense of control, um, concerns around your family's health, your health, your children's health, etc., is getting larger and larger. Um, recently, there was a study done by Oxford University where they've just started a survey where they're asking lots of families about how they're experiencing COVID-19 and particularly looking at the children's mental health. You know, and the figures are really concerning. You know, more than, you know, a third of children between the age of four to ten are really concerned about losing their family. That's going to have undoubtedly a long term impact on them, mm-hmm. you know, on their lives. Marion, have you encountered anything similar to this, perhaps in your day to day life or through your work as well? Because the, lock, the lockdown is something that very few of us can actually even imagine even even three or four weeks ago it, it was something that it was seemed so alien to us and now it's become the new normal well one of the things that i'd said when this first started i said there's going to be like a honeymoon period when you hear that you have to be at home you've got to work from home if you're working um you're going to be in lockdown for many people particularly people who've been really tired and um, would be going woohoo it's holiday time I said what's going to happen pretty quickly. I said probably three or four weeks after that, if they're still in lockdown, that's when that sense of being a little bit stir crazy is going to kick in. And then if people haven't got some kind of structure and their environment isn't suited to being in all day, that is where you're going to start hitting into. First things people tend to notice, they lose their sense of what day it is and what time it is. And they also then start to see problems with their sleep patterns. So um, I said this many weeks ago, I'm now seeing it play out. And one of the reasons I said that, I started working as a a flexible working implementation consultant back in 2003. So at this point, we're 17 years down the line. And one of the biggest issues I had when I'm going into organisations is, um, number one, to convince them that it was possible to work from home and work remotely. But number two, I spent a lot of the time in the management and chief executive briefings talking about the fact it's not just about the technology and it's not just about have they got the right chair and the right equipment. It's about the psychology of working from home because it's a completely different dynamic. And back then we were only getting people to work at home one or two days a week or sometimes one or two days a month. And the psychology of it was still a big piece that I always put a lot of emphasis on. And that has now been magnified beyond the, the kind of the realm of our imagination. Mm. I think you're really you're right about the honeymoon period, because if we look at opinion polling conducted throughout the first few weeks of the lockdown, majority of people polled by YouGov and BMG have found, for example, that they do support the lockdown. And the thing that I couldn't quite understand at the start was that nearly four out of 10 people in the YouGov poll said they supported the lockdown being strengthened. And it's hard to imagine, 
you know, more strenuous provisions for the lockdown being pleasant for anybody. That means taking away daily exercise. It might mean not being able to go outside. It might mean getting food bottles delivered for everyone. Um, do you think, Marilyn, that the longer this goes on, the, the lower we, we might see those numbers go, that people might become more dissatisfied and then that that puts more pressure on the government to ease the lockdown, even if the public health needs on the other hand haven't been met? I'm already seeing that. I'm seeing lots of groups emerging now saying they're taking away our personal rights. They, they being the, you know, the government, the establishment, they're taking away our personal needs. I, you know, and so I'm starting to see the backlash to that already. Um, however, it, it's we're on a path now to suddenly just kind of do an about turn and change that path. I think would be, I can't even imagine how they would do that because we've decided on this path. It's about lockdown. So to then, and I've seen, you know, there are two camps. One camp is saying you're taking away our personal freedom. The other camp, particularly driven by people who are on the front line in the NHS, are saying, please, please continue with the lockdown. Please stay at home. So I think we're maybe too far down the line to do a complete about turn um, and, and change the mind. However, one of the things that can happen, and uh, Dr. McDowell had kind of touched on that with the freezing, etc., we actually then get into a new normal you mm. find a sense of rhythm you find a sense of flow i'm always saying to people get that sense of structure whatever it is for you even if you're not getting up at 6 30 a.m because you've got to commute have a set time where you get up still have your break for lunch still have your break for you know for me herbal tea coffee whatever it is and, and still do those things and even with regards to um it was a bank holiday this weekend and somebody said oh can you do something on and i said um, it's bank holiday and they laughed and said well it's the same every day now and I said not in my mind it's not I'm still treating my weekends like a weekend I'm going to treat my bank holidays like a bank holiday because I think when you create a sense of structure for yourself that in that helps you to adjust to the situation and scenario as as weird as it is it helps you to adjust to the scenario that you find yourself in um, Michelle, taking on that theme of structure there, I think just just anecdotally, I think I think I've, I, the weirdest thing I've experienced during the lockdown was going down to the park the other day. And of course, you've got lots of families there. You've got people out walking. You'd think it was a normal day. And then you've got a van circulating the park with a loudspeaker warning you to go back home if you're not exercising. Now, I just wonder from a sort of child psychology perspective, um, how do we tend to respond to authority like that because obviously one of the things about being an adult is we have agency as well but imagine you know particularly for, for parents as well you know they have to kind of give their children more instruction to being at home but they having to take instruction in a way that kind of it, it almost in, almost I mean it almost it seems like I felt a bit infantilized if I have to be honest just yeah, yeah. Told to go home there I mean is, is that something that could play into into a risk factor here how, we, how, how do you think we're responding to this sort of greater level of almost parental control the government's exerting over us at the moment <laughs> Well, I think that very much depends on your personality. I think, <laughs> you know, that I think um, when the pandemic, when, when the idea of schools closing began to build momentum, I set about setting a, a, a timetable up that I offered to parents, clients, schools that I work with and, and, and offered it online for free. So it's very much about people needing, like like Marilyn was saying, that structure and particularly children and young people. They used to go into school. They used to being told, keep your uniform on, fix that up, get, get on get onto class. 
you know, and then within the class, they're used to that structure and that's what supports them. So I can I can well imagine that um, people are very much rebelling sometimes against this. Actually, you know, there's a group of four there. You need to go home, stop the sunbathing because they're no longer used to that. But most um, young people and, and children are very much so from the school perspective. In terms of people feeling actually I'm being spoken to very much like a child in a way that's very much what the the briefing is very much every day it felt it feels very much doesn't it like a headmaster Mm. saying to you (laughs) feels like assembly you know and I think most people you know almost are ready for this five o'clock they want the you know it's time on a Thursday night let's clap you know people want structure they want some level of organization because at the at the moment their emotions are feeling so unheld and chaotic I think I'll draw the line if I ever have to go out and do a good morning (laughs) Mr Johnson Uh, it takes me right back to school could you could you imagine that but it is, it is, it is, it is you know, I'd not, I'd not thought of it that way before. It is, it is like a school assembly, and I, because that's the, it's the only, it's, you know, it's the only way we're really getting any information now. And obviously, I, I as a journalist, I, I follow that press conference in it. But it, it, people are looking to it daily. Um, I just wondered, Michelle, in terms of how they're presenting the information, then is that, is that how you felt it's been pitched at that sort of, you know, obviously adults can watch it, but do, do you think it's accessible for children to watch as well? Do you think there are kids sitting down with their parents and they're, they're comprehending the information that's been given to them in that, oh. in that, in that moment? Because it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite scary stuff to be sort of confronted with these, you know, the daily figures about mortality and, you know, the consequences of, you know, your actions having, you know, if you don't, if, you, if you're being told effectively, if you break these rules, then they will have serious repercussions for other people. Mike, that is my biggest fear. And I know for me, every time I speak to a parent, I'm on lots of groups at the moment offering advice and offering support, particularly on Facebook. And, you know, um, I've been I've written a few articles recently and I am saying over and over again, you know, please not censor because, you know, you've got to find a way of telling your, tr- your, your child the truth, but giving them the information, but in a child friendly way. We really need to think about emotional literacy here, mm. you know. So the way we would speak to a four-year-old isn't the same way you'll speak to a 14-year-old. You know, that's why we have programmes like Newsround, for example. Sorry for the plug there. But, you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) programmes that are able to adjust the language and emotional speak for, you know, for young people. Because it is very scary. And if you, you know, when you speak to a young person, when I speak to my seven-year-old, you know, and I, I'm trying to give him obviously the freedom to speak about it, and then you know we're discussing it openly. But I'm transferring the information so he can understand it. And he's saying to me, you know, the coronavirus is evil. It's evil, and you know he's getting his superhero face on and telling me I'm going to, you know, I want to get the, suit, the, the the coronavirus. It's so evil, and I'm trying to speak to him about what well, what makes it evil. What is it, you know, and opening yeah. that conversation because we need to keep the communication going. Absolutely. Um, Marilyn, in terms of the communication tone for, for grown-ups, for adults, um, how do you feel that's been pitched? Because the tone in which the press conferences have adopted, they've gone from a sort of a fluffy, quite, you know, we're going to look after you. Now, listening to the Chancellor yesterday, he was saying quite bluntly to people, yes, it's going to get bad, it's going to get worse. 
and we can't protect all of your jobs. That 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 tones it's changed dramatically, hasn't it? And I think I, I can't help but think that that's going to not necessarily be helpful right now for many people when they want a great deal of reassurance from from the government. Now, as you know, when it comes to politics, it's a rock and a hard place because yeah. I distinctly remember a few weeks ago, everyone complaining it was too fluffy. Mm. There was no directive. It was a bit like marshmallow-like. And like, well, OK, so are we in or are we out? Are we, what, what are we doing? Are we open or are we closed? So it's like it, it was too fluffy and now it's too much. Yes, there's probably a balance, but it's like, well, the first approach didn't work for what they were wanting to achieve. And so they then had to move to the next phase of being actually more authoritarian about it. And I would say with adults, one of the directors you see everywhere, because I've been looking at how the various governments around the world have been treating this. One of the things they're all saying, and it seems like an odd thing for news outlets to say and for governments to say, is be careful of how much news you are consuming. Limit the amount of stuff that you're taking on because it will get to a point where you do have all of the negative coming in. And our brains, for whatever reason, have a negative bias. You can have 10 wonderful things happen, one negative thing, and that one negative thing will be the the, the item that consumes someone. And it almost wipes out all of the positives. So I would say it's not so much about the news itself, Um, It's about, okay, what are you consuming? Get what you need. If you're looking for a particular piece of information, go and find that piece of information and maybe close the rest of it down. Because if they were, you know, still fluffing, I think people would be getting angry about the fact that they don't know what's going on and they don't have the real numbers and they're not hearing the truth. So I really think it's a rock and a hard place. So for the adults, I think it's partly down to us to then decide how much of the news media are we going to consume and where are we getting our information. Quite right. I think it's very important to avoid um, sources of fake news and disinformation, particularly spread over social media at this time. It's you know this is one thing the press conferences do give. They are they are the source of information, but of course we're not necessarily all getting the full story there. I'm just thinking about what we were talking about there. That the Hansard Society um, did a, uh, their in their audit of political engagement last year had a finding that's always stuck with me. It said that 54% of Britons wanted a strong leader who was willing to break the rules. Now. It's interesting because the moment we, we no one would argue that when we haven't got a, a strong government in office at the moment, the government's approval rating has ticked into positive. People clearly like the idea of the government taking control at this time as well. But it's that willingness to break the rules there that I, I I'm really interested in because you know it seems to me that at the moment we have a strong leader who's trying to implement rules or a leader who's behaving in a seemingly strong way. I just wonder from from both of you how how do you think people broadly speaking um both adults and children react to authority in that way too are, are, are we is that is that tendency for rule breaking that that, 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 the, that the people set of stage the preference for there is that going to be saying that the government's going to have to contend within the long term the longer they have to try and keep the lockdown in place well i was particularly concerned about well as, as a child psychologist there's no wonder that i would be <laughs> i'm particularly concerned about young people going into the summer you know, and the yeah. period that would be the summer holidays, quote unquote, um, pretty much like Marilyn was saying about Easter, you know, it's, it's this period of time where you, there's an expectation that it, you know, rules will be relaxed because you're no longer in that period of structure, you know, at, like school. And it's a, a 
relapse period where you can then quote unquote do what you want or certainly feel that you you, you know there's less of control of, over what you're doing now the concern is the more it goes on the more people are going to feel like well hold on here you know or children are going to feel I, 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 I want my holiday mm. I want my weekend I want my break time and what you know and I want that extended so I can go out and play and see my friends so I, do, I am concerned that the longer it does go on um, and if it does become stricter as, the, as you know, as the sun comes out, that we are going to find it um, far more challenging to keep young people, particularly teens, indoors. Um, and now that they've got nothing to aim for in terms of exams and GCSEs, et cetera, and A-levels, I, I, I'm very concerned about, you know, what it may look like if, if the numbers don't ease. Mm. I was just thinking about... Um... Marilyn, in terms of the debates so often been framed as the economy versus lives, and that that seems to be a false dichotomy to me. That that actually there's 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 impact on lives from both from both sides of the policy. So there could be somebody for the moment who's I, I can imagine trapped in lockdown. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke to my, um, some friends of mine who are creatives who are self-employed, and they're 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 stuck at home at the moment, but they're they're more worried about the lockdown ending. Because that removes the protection that they've got on their on their on their rented flat and on their, the, the the holiday they're enjoying from paying that at the moment, and it also means that they're going to have to contend with the debt they may have racked up in the meanwhile, and having to live on you no know, contend with living on universal credit, and, and then with additional living costs of actually having to travel, and then you know and, and so possible social engagements too. Um, how do you think we can move past that in terms of, of recognizing that I think there are mental health impacts on both sides of it, you know, the lockdown and the, the, the coming out of it. Because this is so, it's so far reaching and so wide ranging, it, you know, it's health, it's family, it's finances, it's friendships, it's mortality, it's business, it's people's livelihoods, it's the things that, you know, you might have spent 10, 20, 30, 40 years building a business and you've just watched the doors close and everything fall away. And I think one of the big problems of this is the fact that we we don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is because we've never been here before. We've never been in a situation where the whole, not just the whole country, the whole world as we know it has shut down. So it, it, there's, there's not an easy answer for this one in terms of what are we going to do? Now, there was an interesting piece by J.K. Rowling who came out and spoke out against this whole movement of, you know, if you haven't learned a new language and, um, you know, Take, taken on new skills and read 20,000 books, then you're not using the time wisely. And she pointed out, it's not about all of that. There's sometimes we just need to sit and we need to reset and we need to take this time just to take it all in because there's so much going on. So I think that's why it's challenging to be able to look into the immediate future. One of the things I will say, one of the things I know to be true from my life is that for all of the terrible, awful things that have happened to me both personally and the things I've seen in the world, we always, always have always come out the other side and we have always survived. And not just survived, we have gone on to thrive. And because that's my model of the world and the way that I have seen things panned out, that's the thing that is one of the things that's keeping me sane is knowing that we have always come through a crisis. 
we don't have the exact blueprint yet for how this one is going to pan out. But I do know. And one of the reasons I, I write about it, I mean, I have been writing um, magazine and newspaper articles and doing radio and press. And I'm also writing about it on social media and Facebook in particular, because I'm actually looking forward to those memories coming back a year from now. And we all go, oh, my gosh, do you remember that? Quite right. You've got. I think we've got to remember that, as you say, there is light at the end of the tunnel, but also we'll have a lot of experiences here that, although they may have been tough at the time, we can take them with us. Um, Michelle, I noticed a study from the, the charity Young Minds that surveyed about 2,000 odd uh, people under 25 with a history of mental health, and it, it found that 83% of them had said that the pandemic had made their conditions worse. Um, are we... I'm worried here. Are we storing up problems for the future? Because we talked about a mental health crisis before this, and now we've had a situation where we're worried about a generation with mental health problems anyway. Is this is this going to make them worse for them, do you think? I really don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I... <laughs> I think there's only one direction it can go in, you know. I think if we're thinking about there's a, there's a population of parents that feel that, you know, their capabilities and their responsibilities of parents they accept and recognise, but actually, uh, you know, it's not as a homeschooler. Um, you know, there are people living in very, very small spaces. There are, uh, you know, a whole population of young people uh, with with additional needs you know uh, autism ADHD um, you know disabilities as well their parents are having to grapple with managing and support, supporting and nurturing those their young people at home and still sometimes trying to hold down a job um, mental health hasn't gone anywhere so there was again a huge population of young people who were experiencing mental health issues before this even happened, and a CAM service, and, you know, that was just not coping. So this is only going to, unfortunately, get worse after, you know, this calms down, hopefully, in, 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 the, in the nearer future. Um, in addition to that, sorry, you know, you're talking about the my specialism mm. in technology and gaming earlier, mm. um, and screen time. There's a, there's a growing association and link between the more time people spend on social media and gaming and an increase in suicidal ideations, in depression, in anxiety, etc. Um, and now we're having a population of young people who are at home more and aren't spending exceeding amounts of time on technology. So unfortunately, in summary, you know, we are heading for a very, very difficult time with mental health. I wouldn't ask you to make this you know if you don't feel comfortable making this call then I completely understand but I know that one of the first things the government is going to be under pressure to do when relaxing the lockdown is going to be reopening the schools to the majority of pupils is that something do you feel you could say that they should consider doing as a first step or is it something that perhaps they could they could hold off on a bit longer thinking about what we've discussed in terms of the problems that have been created by the lockdown and the, the atmosphere and the pandemic in general? Oh, <laughs> I think it's going to be, um, I think when they're going to make these decisions, the government really does need to speak to schools and not make it out of complete context you know engage with head teachers engage with staff in a way that they they haven't done in in a long time and really get an understanding of how they can do it best 
I mean, I have my views on on how they approach the the, the conversation and communication mm-hmm. of no exams. I think I knew I know they needed to get there, but I think they could have approached it in a slightly different way, which would have left left young people feeling less anxious about it if they'd been more informed about. Okay, there are no exams, but this is what there would be. So it might have taken a bit longer, but a more informed approach would. I think of ease some of the anxiety that is out there out there now and the aimlessness and you know pressing fast forward to going back to school I would urge them to have a gradual approach you know and a staggered approach because behavior management is going to be a huge concern children that are are used to and, and find it very difficult to cope with change and are used to a structure will really struggle with this you know it will have to be a very gradual approach but I'm hoping that they will liaise much more than they have in the past with lots of bodies of education not just one um, Marilyn, in your experience as a flexible working implementation consultant, what do you think are the opportunities that arise from this in terms of the government could encourage maybe look to change working practices? At the moment, we all have a right to request flexible working, but and I think many businesses will probably find it harder in the long term to turn those down. But the legal right still remains unchanged. There, do you, do you think there could be that that law around that could be strengthened and changed here? And are there any other um, perhaps changes to employment practices and than the law you might like to see that that could be picked up as a result of the changes we've all had to embrace during the lockdown to how we work? I really think there's going to there's there really is going to be a seismic shift in terms of the way that we work and the way that we perceive work because one of the biggest things about implementing smart and remote and flexible working is resistance to change. We haven't had to go through the resistance to change curve because like on Friday you're at work, on Monday you were told to stay at home and now you'll be staying there for the foreseeable. So that bit is out of the window and I think once people get over the shock of that, many will find that actually this is working and a meeting that used to take two hours plus a three hour commute there and back was over in 45 minutes as a webinar so part of your brain starts to go well if we can do this very efficiently like this and it works why wouldn't we continue Um, so I think there are going to be people who would never have even conceived of the idea who are now going to be open to it so I do think organizations are going to have to have lots of conversations about this Um, and I think it's more I think the onus is going to be more on um, saying why it won't work as opposed to yes let's do this so I think that the argument is going to be actually I don't think this will work because and I and people are going to be able to counter that we're saying actually it's been working for the last number of weeks or x number of months so I think there's going to be a change there and I also one of the when you'll go into a situation like this normally there are several in my case, several months sometimes of negotiations, discussions, communications, briefing, staff and management training, leadership development training to get to the point we're at in a couple of days. And so one of the things I think we're going to be needing is is clear documentation, clear guidelines. And I would say the same with regards to mental health, because you know, looking around at what there is, there's a lot of information on the government websites, but you have to really look for it. And if you're not in a good state already, you're feeling confused, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling overwhelmed, you probably don't want to spend two and a half hours online clicking various links to try and find what you want. So I think both in terms of the mental health applications and implications, and also in terms of working from home, the whole thing about guidelines, structure, communications, protocols, training, all of that needs to be in place. 
Just returning to the theme we had at the top of the podcast with the authors of that study in America advocating what they described as a well-coordinated strategic plan to address mental health needs. Can I ask you, Michelle, do you feel we've seen that so far from the government? Unfortunately, not. And I think it's because everybody is literally just reactive at the moment. And it needs to get to a stage of planning and proactive planning um, to support people with, with, number one, putting the people in place, the support in place, the professionals in place to support them, and having almost a triage that's far wider than it is at the moment to support people with, is this an immediate response? Is this a trauma of COVID-19? Or is this a, a, a longer term experience? And how do we decipher the two? What type of support do we offer in, in, in each stage? At the moment, and I, I see why, you know, the government's firefighting. They're literally trying to save people's physical lives and mental health has taken a secondary position unfortunately mm. um and that will be you know in in the long term obviously that will have impact on 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 people's physical health as well you know we can see already you know suicidal rates are going up people are very concerned and and anxious and worrying about everything so in terms of what the government have done so far, I can see that the NHS are trying, you know, the British Psychological Society and bodies are putting things in place um, to mm. support people. But um, until until there is almost, a, you, you know, a measured response from the government, it's very difficult. There are pockets of people, you know, um, I, I have a colleague who, who's supporting counsellors to get online for you know, COVID-19 support at the moment for NHS staff. Um, you know, which is a, a free service. There, there are NHS services trying to support people um, with psychological support. But at the moment, it just seems that there are pockets here and there, but nobody re given a unified response. And that will be the issue. Um, Marilyn, how do you feel the government have been doing so far? I have to be in agreement. Um, I, it's not one where I could sit and criticise because there has just been so much going on. And like Dr. Michelle has said, it, the first priority is about saving people's lives and, and, and firefighting because you don't know what you're dealing with. So that is just the situation we find ourselves in. From my perspective, one of, you know, talking to my clients because people say, well, Marilyn, you like you. I like taking complex things and breaking them down and making them simple that you can implement. Mm. And somebody's saying, what would you do? And I said, well, I would, I've got a seven point plan. And um, for me, it would start with number one, talking about the issue of mental health, because even that term mental health has negative connotations to it and I'm part of an initiative an initiative in Watford called Watford Wellness where the it's a, a group the local chaplain chamber of commerce local MP and three practitioners of which I'm one and monthly we are in central Watford talking to businesses about emotional mental health and well-being and our first three meetings were consumed with what do we call this because we realize if we put mental health in the title people would immediately step back because they're now thinking maybe bipolar schizophrenia and it takes them in a different direction so I think just talking about emotional and mental health and well-being is a big part of the conversation so we destigmatize it and then start making mention of mental health in some of the briefings that we're seeing so that people know they're not the only one because I think there'll be thousands if not millions of people sitting there thinking there's something wrong with them 
in terms of the way they feel because they haven't yet realized it's a normal and natural response to trauma. And then I would definitely say I'd like to see a central resource in terms of some one place you could go. Because I actually, before this interview yesterday, I thought, let me just see exactly where we're at. It took me two and a half hours to find good stuff and some good information. Whereas when I went and looked at, um, that's why when we're talking offline about New Zealand, I found it in about two and a half minutes in terms of a one page directive. And I thought that's exactly what I would have recommended is that you have just, it's it's one or two pages, it's clear, very basic information. I'd say from the, our government's perspective, I would love to see them <clears throat> expand what's available. There were only four options available for dealing with stress, depression, and trauma. And as I sit here talking to you, I'm trained in 20 different modalities. Mm. That sounds like a lot, that's scratching the surface. So I would love to see there be more out there because there's so much work that is transformational. There's so much that can help people. Um, And I I know the NHS could come up with more than four options. And I would also possibly like to see something like a mental health task force Mm. um, where there's uh, there's a group of people that are there now looking at this, what's going on, what can we do, how can we help? And I actually think it's it's going to be interesting to hear from like you were saying before you have a, a range of commentators on this show from a mum in Nottingham to parliamentary kind of executives mm. and I would say I'd want to hear from those voices I want to hear from the people on the street that actually what they've been going through how did they cope what have they done and I'd actually like to hear from the celebrities because as much as people might turn their nose up when somebody that you respect speaks and says this is what happened to me and this is what I did and da 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 it then we're back to that light at the end of the tunnel so there are many things that I would do with hindsight but moving forwards I would say I understand where we are with the firefighting and I think we would it would be really lovely to have a, a more coordinated strategy and a more centralized point as we move forwards. Well we are nearly out of time um it's been an absolutely fascinating and um surprisingly light discussion as well given we've had a very some very heavy topics to cover so i'd like to thank you both very much that's dr michelle mcdowell and marilyn devonish um michelle if you want to find out more about your work where can we find you online so my company is called me finition it's like definition but with an m so that's the website or i'm always on facebook it's arcs dr michelle for support on screen time and gaming so either of those Excellent. And Marilyn, how about you? Um, easy to find. Uh, well, I'll spell my name because it, it, people often spell it wrong. It's <laughs> Marilyn Devonish. It's M-A-R-I-L-Y-N and Devonish is D-E-V for Victor O-N-I-S-H. So forward slash Marilyn Devonish or my you know LinkedIn and social media channels, except for Instagram. If you have people on Instagram, it's the Neuro Success Coach and Neuro is N-E-U-R-O and then the word success. And in terms of if people want to drop me an email, um, want a bit more information, it's Marilyn at trance t-r-a-n-c-e formations f-o-r-m-a-t-i-o-n-s so marilyn at transformations tm.com is uh, where you'll find me and i've got both the therapeutic website and also just something that i'm putting together as a resource now for the the flexible working 
Excellent. And you can find the Groucho tendency at www.thegroucho.co.uk. I am at Mike underscore Indian on Twitter. We now have Instagram, uh, groucho.tendency on there. Please do follow us. I'm trying to pick up social media followers as well. Um, <laughs> thank you both, Dr. McDowell and Ms. Devonish as well. It's been a fantastic conversation. Um, I will be back with Liam Kay later in the week. Until then, look after yourselves and be kind to each other. See you next time.